This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. This is Nabil Mahmood, your host of Nomad Futurist from Kona, Hawaii. This is Philip Koblenz, your co-host from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, this is Jacob Smith, guest number one, dialing in from Vermont. And you've got Zach Smith, evil twin brother, here in Lower Manhattan. Guys, thank you very much for joining us. This is the first time that we've actually got two guests and twins. Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and where are you at in your career? We'll start with Jacob. Oh, I get to go first. This is Wait, great. Jacob, are you going to talk about Ashley? Who's that? No, no, Ashley's not coming into this picture. Okay. You, can, you can tell the Ashley story. <laughs> All right, so my name's Jacob. Um, I'm the younger twin. I'm also, as uh, Supermicro likes to call, the fat twin. They have a server called the fat twin. That's me. So if you get to, you know, hang out with us, I enjoy a couple more beers than my brother. Um, But my background, as you probably guessed, is not in infrastructure. I am the, oops, how did I get into an infrastructure business uh, brother? Uh, My background is in uh, playing in the opera and uh, doing marketing on the ride with my brother the last six years, having a great time in infrastructure, but new to it, right? Like didn't literally like know what all the problems, all the problems that you guys have when it comes to data centers. I know nothing about those, uh, which has been great because uh, I got to learn all about them and get, um, get a lot of scars along the way and uh, hopefully uh, bring more people into the space because it's a super awesome, as you can tell my bad background, super exciting time to be in uh, the world of boring infrastructure. I'm Zach. I'm the older brother. And um, for, for good or bad, I've been in the internet infrastructure space for almost 20 years. Also had a background in music, um, but failed faster. I'm always impatient. So um, went to Juilliard, left there in 2001. Actually, it was really the last semester. I guess it was December of 2000 and early part of 2001. I effectively stopped going to school and I was ready to do something else and landed in the cool, interesting world of web hosting in 2001 on accident because I was looking for a business, um, recurring revenue. That's the one tip that one of my family friends had, which was if you're gonna do a business, you know, you should get into the recurring revenue side. And I decided to sell web hosting accounts to my musician friends, uh, which worked out well enough that I kind of stuck into it. It was a good time to get into the space on accident grew that uh, kind of career path. You know, I think like most people, um, I think if you ask uh, people who have joined into the internet infrastructure world, they were ex-theater nerds or stagehands or musicians or some sort of failed artistic career and had to make a buck and ended up messing with routers and, you know, doing cable punch downs. So that's what I did and was lucky enough to um, go along for a great ride with a company called Voxel, sold that in 2011 and then teamed up begrudgingly with my brother in 2014 to start Packet. Was it your mom that, that forced you to do that? Is that, is that a parent like, you need to do something with your brother? I mean, he's just- Oh, no, he, he misspoke. He wasn't um, trying not to start a business with his brother. That was what he was trying to do. He was begrudgingly back into internet infrastructure. That exactly. was the only rule. It was like, don't anything but infrastructure. We could do anything in the world. <laughs> the world is our oyster, as long as it's not infrastructure. And uh, you know, that's why. Because it's too hard. I mean, I don't think this podcast needs any hosts. This is like this is the this is the best Hollywood Squares thing I've ever seen in my life. The the idea of someone coming from music or Juilliard and just saying, you know what, I want web hosting accounts. I know it makes sense to you, 
because you lived it, right? So yes, recurring revenue. I want to get into the web hosting business. But I think if I had to, I have my mother-in-law is a uh, a piano teacher. My mother was uh, was was a piano teacher. So I have some you know concert uh, musicians in in my family. I can't imagine asking them to turn on a computer, much less get into the web hosting industry if they get bored of classical music. How does that transition happen? What are the similarities in, in the thought process? Did you like computers and just thought that would be the thing? I'm going to answer for Zach and then Zach oh, can please. answer for me. This is going to be a good. God, I love shared uterus. This is going to be great. You'll actually find that there's a ton of similarities between uh, systems and programming and, and music because they both have lots of rules to them, but you also have to put all the bits together and make it yourself. So you'll, if you go and find, um, you know, innovators in computer science and electrical engineering, whatever, you will often find people with either musical or some sort of artistic background. Yeah. I don't know if that's just like my interpretation of it, but I found that the skills that you have around being both disciplined and rule oriented and yet still being creative and then creating something new is totally applicable to technology. It doesn't hurt that, you know, you know, we grew up in that, what do they call the, uh, the, uh, the Oregon Trail generation period where it's like, you know, half analog, half digital, kind of both are comfortable. Um, got what, what does Zach say? Like got your first flip phone when you're in college, you know, you understand what came before that. Um, and so you're not afraid of it in the same way. So the idea that you would go and figure like, Oh, I could probably figure this out. Um, I think it's both a, you know, like Zach said, starving artist necessity thing, but also like, like, why not? I mean, I had the same thing when I was in college. I was hanging out at Carnegie Mellon in the arts department. <laughs> Must have been a boring place. There was a 24-hour computer lab with, with silicon graphics machines on the top floor. I hung out there a lot and literally, like, literally just waited and stared at a terminal until I figured out something to do on the internet. Because, like, you know, the internet was not, like, rocking in 2000, 1999. It was, like, fairly small space. But I think access to it and just willingness to go figure it out, right? I'd agree with that. I mean, like for me, you know, landing in the space, first off, I needed a job. You graduate from, from uh, Juilliard with a degree in classical double bass. And um, you're either working at the coffee shop or, you know, trying to figure out some other way to make a buck. And what I did is I paid my way through uh, college by gigging, you know, church gigs and whatever like that when I could get them. And then also helping people with their computers. Just fix them. I always like computers, always mucking around. So I wasn't afraid of computers. But I think the, the point that Jacob is making was what I took away from Juilliard was that people there, I always thought when I first got there that the, the most talented people who woke up, Mozart, Beethoven style geniuses, you know, they were the they were the hotshot players. It turns out they were the ones who worked harder, were self-critical, practiced every day. And also had the ability to, you know, um, you know, formulate kind of discipline and artistic talent together. And so when I decided that I wanted to get into a business, it wasn't really, oh, I, I wonder if that could I could just like wake up and know about Unix machines. It was like, well, I'm sure if I spend enough time reading, asking questions and practicing, I could probably be I could probably figure this out. And so that's uh, what I did. Um, spent some time asking a lot of dumb questions and trying to figure out, well, how would this work? And I don't know anything about that. But if I spent hours a day being self-critical and trying and getting better using my discipline that I got from Juilliard, well, I can probably get there. And I think that's, that's a really awesome part about our industry is that with technology changing so fast, it's not like your 20 years of history means so much. Right? It's just like, oh, maybe I knew this guy, Phil. He's really cool. I once knew him when he had hair. 
Um, it was awesome back then. Um, no, 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 it doesn't matter that much. It's just like you have to learn new all the time. So whenever you enter in, it's an okay time to enter into the technology space. It's all good. For the record, I got much cooler when I lost my hair. Yeah, uh, I just want to make sure that's 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 clear to every, all our listeners. So, question for both of you: What was the biggest challenge, like as you transitioned from music into technology in the data center space? You know, sometimes there are people that, and and particularly in our space in the past, that they are very technical. I mean, how did you get past those technical conversations at early on in your careers? Well, in my case, um, the answer was you just can't have a lot of ego. To be willing to ask dumb questions and ask them again, and as long as you're determined, what I found on on the internet side uh, is that people are more than willing to help. You can find some pretty stupid posts that I put on webhostingtalk.com back in 2001, where I asked again and again, "Please explain to me how this works." And I, what I love about our community is that if you go to um, a networking conference or talk about you know at scale application hosting or anything related people are generally very friendly they want to share they want to help um, so you just be willing to ask questions and and be the dumbest guy in the room so I was always comfortable being the dumbest guy asking again and again please explain to me one more time how I would do that um, and then I think the trick is you know surround yourself by people who are way smarter than you and figure out what you do better than them you know it turns out what I can do I can sell people. I can convince them to pay us money. What I can't do, you know, is fix the global backbone. But that's okay. I can surround myself with people who know how to do that. So I think that's, you know, what I. For the record, he doesn't ask as many like dumb questions anymore. He's got like, like less of those. (laughs) Um, For just so just leading questions, leading questions. Just so our audience uh, is aware, once you put something on the internet, it's there forever. Um, That's true with sex tapes, and it's true with dumb questions on web hosting talk. So if you want to find dumb questions on web hosting talk, I advise you all to Google search Zach Smith, uh, circa (laughs) two thousand one, to to find him asking what a computer is. Uh, (laughs) It's more like. How, how does this Lunix thing work? <laughs> Linus, did you hear that? Lunix. <laughs> Tell us about the interwebs. Tell me more um, about the interwebs and the Lunix thing. I will say, uh, I will add to that. I mean, I came in infrastructure. I was always in, uh, I was in marketing. You know, I spent plenty of time building websites. You know, the, the, the sort of the top end of the internet. And, um, you know, I was comfortable in project management and this kind of stuff. But getting into the infrastructure world, the hardest thing for me um, to answer your question, Nabia, was about, uh, the language and just understanding mm. the terminology and the code words. Um, because when you're in any space, it doesn't matter. I could say Allegro and, and, and Vivace and, and you be like, which one's which? <laughs> um, what's the difference? But, you know, when you get into a space, you got to learn the lingo. And I tell every employee who joins us now, because we bring, I mean, we, we're very fortunate where we're hiring people right now. And oftentimes they've, they've been in technology or them in other businesses, but they haven't been in infrastructure. And I'm like, welcome. Six months from now, these words will make sense. Right? You just have to come on for the ride. There's, you just have to hear it. You, you know, we're living at an intersection of hardware, of, of software, and of, of silicon and networks. Like this stuff are all very domain specific, and our job is to just enable them for people. So you have to like just listen to the words a lot, and I think that that's um that's true with any evolving space. But for an infrastructure world, there's just a lot less people talking about it. And so, you know, when you say BGP, people go, oh, you know, but you say it and they understand it and you explain it and you make a joke out of it and you have a little fun. And suddenly, you know, again, six months later, you're like, yeah, I get this. And I would say that um, one of the best parts of the infrastructure world, we have a good, we have fun. Like this is, 
this is a pretty like uh, interesting group of people who do, I think, a very important job right now. We could call it critical infrastructure or whatever, um, but a, a, a big sense of humility. Like no one ever is like high five for all your work in the data center last night. Like no software dev ever says that. <laughs> really appreciate that late night in the loud, noisy, dark, lonely data center. Uh, but it's like, you know, I think created a culture of um, enablement. You know, no one cares what, you know, no, not a lot of people care about infrastructure, but they care what they can do with it. And so it's created, I think, an interesting bond among people who are passionate about it, which is yeah. like, luckily, a pretty fun crew. Yeah. Internet plumbers are great people to hang out with. I'll, I'll second that with Jacob. It took about, I was very frustrated when we started Packet for the first six to 12 months where Jacob was just not understanding the words that were coming out of my mouth. <laughs> and I wasn't used to that. I mean, we've literally spent our entire life together since, except for the first hour and 20 minutes where I had it all to myself. But after that, we've basically been hanging out together and I was, I'm just used to Jacob finishing my sentences or vice versa. And that first six, 12 months at Packet was just really frustrating between the two of us. I <laughs> didn't understand what I was talking about. I'm like, what the hell? What's I saw you had on? to add, add words to the secret twin language. Um, I did. That spoke, to, that spoke to technology in a way that, you know, in the womb wasn't really top of mind. Exactly. It's all right. In the end, like his words were super easy. And I mean, they're very valuable, but they're not, they're not very special. All the marketing they're also words, all buzzwords. I mean, it's just three letters. How can it mean anything? It, of course, if he says it confidently, you're gonna, he's going to say it's something. BGP, <laughs> right. EIGRP, whatever, <laughs> CPU. I'm the only me? one who can, I'm the only one who in like really important meetings can be like, Zach, dude, that's a bunch of bullshit. What are you talking about? <laughs> All right, whatever. But I say it really with a lot of force, and then people are going out there. Again, another Juilliard trick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just Stand, look like you know what you're doing. Look like you know what you're doing, and most people will go along for the ride. <laughs> Curiosity and confidence are the two things I captured from that. Is there a unique skill that has actually helped you guys over the last two decades of you being in the data center to be successful? Oh, 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 I got one. You gonna answer it for me again, Jacob? No, go for it, dude. Are you sure? Yeah, please. All right, all right, go. Nobody, you know, the nice thing about being a podcast, no one's going to know which one of you are answering. Oh, interesting. Um, okay, well, I would say like the hidden secret skill that's helped me is the uh, kind of ability to go, well, can I go with two? I'm going to go with two. All right, so th there's two, right? Um, one is an ability to get incredibly detailed on something and then make sure to pull yourself back to the big picture. You got to be able to look out five years. Infrastructure doesn't happen overnight. It takes a decade to build something pretty cool in our space. Um, it's not like you just wake up, write a little code, and voila, publish it on uh, GitHub, and you're done. You like you want to build something. I mean, Phil, how long did it take you to build your first data center? It's like it just doesn't happen overnight. So infrastructure is a long game, and you have to be willing to be patient. And so you have to look out years at a time. At the same time, you got to get super mundane into the weeds. Um, if you're going to really understand it. So I think my, I have an ability to probably frustrates the heck out of people who work around me is to um, go very detailed and then be immediately context switching to like, well, how's the worker going to work? How's the world going to be in 10 years? And that really pisses people off. But like that is a, a, a little skill I have and maybe semi-related. And um, Jacob has helped nurture this a lot within Packet is um, leaning on the left side of your brain pushing on that creativity side and be willing to think outside the box and do it a different way, the creative side of your brain, even if you're in a technical business. So for me, it's been about um, 
uh, Bridges. So my nickname in the company is uh, the hostage negotiator, right? So like when things get really bad, <laughs> call the ripcord, you know, pull the ripcord. And I think it, uh, the, the skill that I've used, and um, it's not always valuable, but I think you do find these different pockets of really deep domain knowledge, you know, network people and software people haven't spent a long time together until like maybe the last two years and marketing people and hardware people, you know, I mean, to create something that's current and valuable across infrastructure requires reaching across a lot of spaces. Um, so I think, you know, building, um, building those bridges and connecting essentially mm-hmm. um, and translating <laughs> is like a huge part. And I'm going to like give a critique. Like I always felt like Voxel, which was this great company that no one knew about because they did all this cool stuff and they just didn't know how to like get it to people who weren't them. Like if you knew about them, like oh, you knew, like you love best, best kept best kept secret best kept secret, and I think something we've all learned as part of the the uh, infrastructure world the last you know five seven ten years is things are becoming very consumerized. Our customers, like us, are you know hopefully um, pretty interesting diverse people who also consume a lot of um, you know Netflix and other things, and I think we have to translate to a different kind of buyer. Um, that we're not just selling to the same people. If we want to make the tent bigger, we want people to care about infrastructure. You usually don't start the conversation with like, did you know how cool this server is? Let me tell you about my optics. And you have to like talk about and understand their value. What are they trying to do? And that goes within the company or without the company. So that sense of translation layer has been an important skill for me. So obviously you guys have been both successful in your careers. What advice would you give someone wanting to enter into the data center space and other technology space? I'll, I'll take a, a, a stab at this one first. So I think the best thing that you can do is, a, as, let's start as a young person. I think there's also like huge opportunities for people of any age and any level of their career. So that's maybe a second part, but especially when you're young um, or coming in from an outside space, like I was coming from music, which is a very small world compared to business or technology. Networking, man, like get to know people. Like what you guys said, this podcast came out. I was like, well, we were running into each other. And so we started talking and then we did this and, relationships, relationships, they, they matter so much, <laughs> like in any business. But I think um, in, a, in a tight-knit community like, like infrastructure um, or open source or any of these places we're all playing in, and like learning how to meet new people and go outside of your circle and create valuable relationships where people understand you and you pay it back. And those things come back like, at the best moments or at the worst moments, the hardest ones, <laughs> when you really need them, you build up an, an, a mentor of mine used to say, you know, w- while you can, you need to build up a reservoir of goodwill. You may need it, you know, always be building that because you're going to carry that around with you. And then at some point you're just going to, just going to need to do something that you can't do yourself or you're in a bad spot or whatever else. And you're going to pull on that. Yeah. Like, like tech Zach and say, please come on my podcast. Hey, uh, I need some cheaper cross connects. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> my piece of advice. I mean, I think it, Jacob gave a great one. Um, I think that's just good advice for living right? in general is, you know, be a good person, pay it forward, build those relationships. That um, is something as long as you're curious and interested, most people will talk with you and generally be a, a, a friend. If they're not, probably they're not worth hanging around. 
if you're going to get into business, um, the one thing that I like to recommend, uh, and it doesn't have to be this way, but um, if you want to build a, uh, a meaningful company, I think uh, you have to really be willing to invest the time. And a lot of people look out and they think, well, we'll just get this going and this will just happen or maybe it'll be quick or whatnot. Nothing is easy. Nothing is quick. It all takes a fuck ton of work and takes a long time for everybody. And so if you want to be in this space, I think you got to be willing to put in the time. And I, I, I like to use the word long-term greedy. Don't be short-term greedy. You may have to like, you know, eat, eat, you know, take out Chinese food for a while. But if you're willing to invest in a platform, invest in a model, invest in your ideas, you know, that may take years and years and years to become fruitful. But I think if you do that, you can build a sustainable, big, interesting company out of that. You can't do that by taking shortcuts. It usually doesn't work out. And so I encourage people, especially if they're looking at an entrepreneur, make sure that you're set up in life for that. You know, if you just got married and had a kid and your wife doesn't want to work and you want to start a company, like, eh, maybe, maybe not a great time, right? Are you sure? But that's really, like, are you in it for the relationship capital with your own family set up? We all know as entrepreneurs, this stuff takes a lot out of you. And you need to be set up in a position to invest an indeterminate amount of time in your vision. Very Otherwise, well. you're going to take tons of shortcuts. It's not going to work. Very well said. So slow and steady wins the race. They yeah, or, or kind of whatever it might take, right? And that, that's where I see entrepreneurs get really frustrated is because they've set themselves into situations that aren't conducive to those decisions. It doesn't mean that you have to like, oh, I have unlimited amounts of money and I need it. Like, that's not the case. Just like at least be on the same page with the relationships, like whether it's in your family your or around you, your partners. Are you at the same place in life? Like you got some new partners and you don't see eye to eye. Some person thinks it's a one to three year gig and the other person's like, I'm, I'm in it until I'm, it's good. Well, that's going to create conflict. It helps to do it with your twin brother because he can't fire you. I know. Yeah, it's really good. Well, I mean, it's it's but he I tried. <laughs> I mean, he actually did try. Actually, that's true. <laughs> Looking back, would you guys have done anything different? Totally. Oh. <laughs> Lots of things. <laughs> what would that be? How much time do you have? Yeah. <laughs> I think I would, um, I'll, I'll say the first one. Looking back now, the thing that would have been most impactful and easiest frankly. And first of all, make decisions faster. Like that's like, yes, like always, you know, that there's the problem, fix the problem sooner. But one that I'm not proud of that I think we need to deal with as our industry, just like most industries are, is like, we need to have a, you need to prioritize uh, having diverse voices in your room, like diverse people uh, from different backgrounds with different, you know, skill sets, different genders and ethnicities. I mean, this is just valuable. And it, you know, everyone like believes that, but I think going back in time, that would have been like inordinately like of a benefit, but also easier <laughs> than it seems that at the time, you always seem like, oh, I have to do this thing and this is the person I know, so I'm gonna hire them or whatever. Look a little further, take a little bit more time, make sure you, you invest in that early. Because uh, the dividends when you do invite that are just like huge. As the guy who went into business with his womb <laughs> No, no, exactly. I mean, this isn't to say, I mean, for sure, I did, we didn't do it right, like at all <laughs> on that standpoint. <laughs> and I think, you know, what, you know, like many entrepreneurial ventures, you go and get the team back together, right? The people you know and that you trust. And that, that has like value for sure. Yeah. But I think we, we overweighted it um, in the first. And we did, you know, you'd come back to those things and, 
and I just have seen so much, like we've been in a, a great place the last year, really growing. Um, and the new voices that come into the company, my God, they have so much value. Like, it's just so great. <laughs> You're like, oh, that behavior I've been doing the wrong way for the last 10 years can be done a different way. Thank you for showing me. Mm-hmm. And so I just encourage that, like looking back on six years of sort of like driv- driven velocity. Um, if we had made decisions earlier about, um, you know, creating a more, especially diverse leadership team, I think that would have been valuable. How about you, Zach? Um, yeah, I, I mean, making decisions, hard decisions are hard to make, basically. Um, I've really enjoyed having outside voices, um, even just beyond diverse teams, like having, if you're serious about making a great business, you probably need um, to face some, some habits and some um, biases uh, within your own way of doing things. Cause you know, it's like, Oh, it's always worked for me or like this worked in the past. So let me try that again. Um, and having an outside voice, um, we've, uh, invested in, at, at packet, having a management coach, which has been great. I would have really focused on that more. Uh, that would have been my, my advice. Cause somebody has to be able to tell the leadership when they're fucking up. Somebody has to be like, you're ignoring the problem, you know, the problem and you're ignoring it. And who, who holds your, you, yourself accountable? Is it really your board? Is it your investors? I mean, a little bit, but not enough. And so you need to be more self-critical uh, in that regard. And you need to probably have an outside voice pointing it out to you. So that's probably where I would have invested more in building a company um, is, is bringing in a stronger outside voice to, to do that. And that could be through advisors or somebody who has, a, who has an interest there to help you. And that's their job versus just be your friend or your supporter or your fan. You know what's also, interesting? Better PowerPoint skills. I mean, oh, be really valuable. I mean, oh my god, so many more PowerPoint skills. You know what's interesting? What's interesting is, and and I fall into the same category. Actually, you you started by starting your own business, right? Mm-hmm. So you know you've always had to do it your own way. I'm kind of in the same uh, position myself, but being able to you know assemble a team of people that have been in other businesses and have seen you know the Otherwise. trials, the tribulations, the failures, the successes is um, incredibly valuable yeah. and, and being able to learn from other people's failures and being able to be confident enough to hear that you're doing it the wrong way and being able to be confident enough to tell your boss or your leadership that, you know, this is not really the way you should do it. That, that's, a, that's a kind of a special uh, relationship and a, and a bond that you have to build as leaders within your organizations that I think are, I mean, if anything, it's, it's one of the major reasons why you've been so successful is a recognition that, you know, those, those types of characteristics um, are the best. And I think most people from the outside that know Zach Smith uh, probably think that you're like a just so diehard into your convictions because of the confidence that you bring to the <laughs> equation. But the idea that you're willing to let these outside voices in, I think is incredibly valuable. Um, if someone wasn't a Zach Smith, if someone wasn't born with the exact right balance of right and left brain and didn't have an absolutely perfect roommate that, that can you know, bring the other pieces together to a perfect whole that allows you to sell your company to Equinix for gobs and gobs, I'm not gonna get into it, but... Um, do we have an issue here? Phil, are, we gonna, are, we, are we gonna have to talk about this? I, I actually, I feel like I've lost a couple of hairs just during, <laughs> during that, that portion. Um, how valuable do you think it would have been, if at all, to start within another organization rather than starting out of the gate with your own company? I would, I'll answer. Um, I think, first of all, it's, it depends what you want to do, right? If you want to be disruptive, and you, you mentioned the word 
Equinix, right? We're in a, a big company now, right? It's very hard to do disruptive things within a company that is established as a culture, um, has success with that, right? You don't just like change one day. That takes very strong leadership and often a lot of like pain. Um, I think sometimes that's why you see new things happening outside of companies. Um, like Cisco's kind of king of doing that. They kind of, people go out, they start companies, then Cisco buys them back, right? <laughs> um, because, you know, doing something very different um, is hard to do within an existing culture. So if you're trying to do something different, uh, I, I think it, it helps to start your own thing and being fresh. I would say that you don't need to be born with some perfect balance. Um, I do think some of those tips are actually about just getting to 80%, not getting to 100%. Like most companies do not operate at like 80% capacity. They operate below that. <laughs> well below that. And so if you can get to 80%, you can kick some serious ass. And so that, you know, the tips and tricks there are like have a process, you know, have good metrics, have good core values, know what you're trying to do, come back to that regularly. Even like probably the best thing we ever did was we wrote like 67 monthly management memos where we reflected back and said, what do we do? What do we not do? What are we doing next month? We did it every month from the very first month. And those kind of practices, I don't think they're brilliant. They're just practical. <laughs> and if you can get to 80%, I think you can outperform most of your peers. Yeah. The extra magical thing is probably about conviction and, hey, you know, I don't know. I, I probably should go look. But I think when we raised our Series A, we had like 54 no's and one yes. And our Series B was like 58 no's and one yes. You have to like believe you have something important to do. Right. If you want to go to that level. <laughs> so I'm not answering your question at all, Phil, aside from, I think that it's not rocket science. Like I actually love to use that. They're actually, today is like someone is launching humans into space on rockets. Today. today. Like there are people who are doing rocket science. We are not doing but rocket science. I mean, that guy's a wacko. Um, oh, but, but that team of people is like actually. He has more major... Twitter followers than you do, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> by a long shot, by a long shot. I'm going to change my kid's name. <laughs> Um, the, uh, so would you, would you recommend someone coming to the space, start their own company, or would you recommend that if they want to get a feel for the industry, they work somewhere else and understand, you know, processes great and procedures? I know that's a great question. I think you're probably right. It's great time in, to be in this space. It is hard time to start a company in infrastructure. I mean, Zach was right. We probably shouldn't have done it, but in the end it worked out. <laughs> it's super hard to come into the infrastructure world. Yeah. Um, as an entrepreneur, I mean, how many venture backed you know, ones do you know? Not a lot. No. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's not like a, like a sloshy, lots of room, oh, one of them will work out kind of world. Yeah. Um, and the scale is really big. So I'd say you're probably onto something there, Phil, which is like learning the space and getting connected, you know, come in. But if you're trying, if you have a vision, which I think there's a lot of disruption happening. Yeah. Emma. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, you've got this, uh, system right now where you have, uh, technology based businesses are the ones that are winning technology is founded in infrastructure and software. Um, there's a lot of disruption and innovation happening in the world of software. There's less of that happening in the world of infrastructure. It represents a great opportunity, um, but it's not for the faint of heart. It's kind of like you, you ever, if you go to Sand Hill Road and, and walk down, you know, start talking to all the investors, one of the first questions I always ask is, do you invest in silicon still? Right. It's because, you know, that is a game of, you know, big cojones because most fail. Right? But the ones that work are great. 
And so you have to like, that's the most infrastructure of infrastructure where you're going to go spend, um, you know, hire up a thousand people, go spend a, a couple billion dollars and then tape out your chip and see if it works. <laughs> that's <laughs> the ultimate long game. <laughs> that's, a, that's a long game. Right. Um, and then you got to sell it after that. Right. So I, I think that there's, there's an opportunity to uh, get into our space with, with purpose to be in it uninformed doesn't mean you can't. Um, I just think that you might as well, you, you must be incredibly inquisitive and be willing to ask a lot of questions and learn up. And if you do that, um, then I think you can absolutely get into our space. I'm not so sure like following a Jacob, I really struggled. I struggled for three years, um, basically saying I will do anything but start up a, another company in the internet infrastructure space. Uh, I, I, I had the money, I had the relationships, I had some context, I had friends, uh, et cetera. And I still was like, ooh, that could be really, really tough. Um, I think what changed my mind is I thought it was very important and I you know, uh, you know, was willing to... Um, go on a long journey about how to impact and change the way that the world of software met the world of hardware. And, you know, we've, we stuck to our guns. I remember it was July of June of 2014, we wrote down our core values and what our mission was, and uh, we haven't changed it. So. Uh, did your, you, you started the first company, you had Voxel, you sold it. Um, well, I didn't start it, Raj did. I just kind uh, okay. of weaseled Whatever. my way in. You, 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 you took it. Um, then you gave it to Raul and then he sold it. We can get it, to it. it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Anything um, you give to Raul, he will sure. sell. Of course, there's, there's no question about it. He'll be a future guest. Um, the, the, uh, did you have to talk, was your family like internal family, not roommate, um, your wife, your kids? I mean, were they part of the process of, of the discussion of whether you're going to start another company and whether you were really going to be in the weeds again, 24 seven, beholden to yourself, who is, you know, the harshest of critics. Was, it, was, that, a, was that a conversation that, uh, that went well? <laughs> yeah. With my kids, not as much, because I think uh, Preston was two at yep. the time, and Wesley was five, and they just cared about what swag footballs they were going to get. Right. Um, I mean, that's I still assume, kind of what they, they care about. I assume they were adamantly against it then. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, where, I, yeah, they were, I need more, more better footballs, I think was the basic thing. Um, yeah, I did. And it was, a, in fact, it was a really um, big topic of discussion with my wife. Um, she had supported um, me through the journey at Voxel, not only financially at the beginning, because we didn't make money for years, I think basically most, most of, the of the years. <laughs> um, and, um, and then obviously just, uh, you know, emotionally, right. It's hard being a founder's partner is probably harder than being the founder. Um, because you don't get to see the gory details. You just get to see the output and all the shit of it, right. The bad times, the long nights that this and the that, that I can't do this, whatever. And yet you're not in control. So you have to have a lot of trust with each other that you're going to get through that and that's okay and whatnot. So definitely it was, it was a position that, um, you know, we had to, uh, we had some serious late night conversations, but in the end, she I wanted think, to be out of the house though. I mean, she did. I was really yeah. bothering her. Just <laughs> uh, get back to work. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, I need to, I need to be the boss somewhere and it definitely is not in the house. Definitely not at home. That why, that's why you set up the first, the first office was in the playroom of your building. Yes. I needed to have a place. <laughs> So, um, you know, but I think that we came to, uh, you know, I think a, a mutual truce about it, which that, you know, she kind of knew this is an area of passion. Um, and also, uh, you know, trust me, 
um, to do the right thing for me and, and for us. So yeah, it, we had to be steely eyed with each other though. Cause it was like, this world is tough. You work a lot of late hours, you get weird phone calls at weird times. Um, and, uh, you know, people count on you to make it work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time. So who does that fall to generally the, the crap rolls uphill, right? So you know, we knew what we were getting into, but I was committed to also to building a better company. That was also part of, you know, learning like, from your, uh, learning your previous, from my, yeah. the one that you started youth. when you were, you know, 21 years old, that one wasn't your best one. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, Raj had started an amazing company and we, we really grew something special, but we learned a ton about how to be managers. Like we didn't know anything. I think we, we learned how to like read a financial statement in year eight of the company. Well, first you learn how to read your credit card statement. Then yeah. you learn the financial that, statement. That we knew how to do. <laughs> um, but you know, I think building a better business was also part of the goal. It wasn't just like, could we build a better internet? Yeah, I think we could. Could we build a better business? I think that was a personal challenge, but we were determined to do it. So that, yeah. that was part of the, the agreement. And those are with, good. I mean, with the wives. And those are, those are good uh, lessons to learn. And it's hard to learn them that like, uh, you know, even from selling a company previously, there was like the, the first month that we, we started with packet. We also closed our books, put everything in a data room. You know, you never know when you're raising money, you're raising venture, you're selling a company, that is not the time when you want to be like, does anyone have all the records <laughs> for the 1800 diligence items? Yeah, that you usually don't learn um, until you do it once. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, let's uh, have a little bit of fireside chat on real or hype with buzzwords. Artificial intelligence, real or hype? Hype, machine learning, real, artificial intelligence, hype. Deep learning. Stuart Smalley. <laughs> Internet of Things. Real. Hyper automation. Hype. No, let's just say, can we do wired or tired instead of real or hype? Wired or tired. Oh, I love it. I love it. Uh, we might steal <laughs> that. I'm not giving you a nickel every time we use it. <laughs> chatbots. Oh, dude, tired. <laughs> what? How many chatbots did you talk to today? None. Unless you are a chatbot. Uh oh. I've seen a lot of them on Twitter. Blockchain. Um, Quantum computing. No idea. 5G. 5G? The best G. 6G. I mean, 6G. 5G is the 6G. Yeah. Yeah. Edge. Wired. Cloud. <laughs> really wired. Yeah, totally. 100%. <laughs> but it's not what you think it is. <laughs> Bog computing. Um, tired. Very tired. tired. Super. <laughs> we fell asleep. <laughs> Gone. Dead. Big data. Wired. Data mining. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm not excited, but I'm going to say wired. <laughs> we need something in the middle, Jacob. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Actionable analytics. Oh, wired. Augmented reality. Wired. Virtual reality. Mm, tired. Robotics. Wired. Robotics process automation. Same thing. Smarter robots. Smarter robots. Robot. Better robots. <laughs> C3PO. <laughs> R2. R2. R2D2, yep. <laughs> Human augmentation. If only. <laughs> Phil, are we talking about your bedroom again? Oh, oh Phil, come on. Did you write these questions? Uh, it's not. I think he's, he's pulling it from like a Gartner list of what they feel the buzzwords are going to be in 2023. I obviously haven't been doing my job. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Autonomous anything. Um, wired, yeah. Industry 4.0. <laughs> Tired. What is Tired. it? <laughs> I thought we were on to 5.0. Computing. 
connected retail. Very weird. Yeah, dude, what's our score? Well, I think uh, you're in the high 90 percentile. Ooh, not enough fire with that fireside chat, though. Next time, more fire. More fire. (laughs) Anything that stands out of those 30 different buzzwords? Um, Yeah, I would say you're missing a a couple. Because, like, if we don't have, I mean, I agree with all those buzzwords for technology and IT. Um, I think we're totally missing the boat there. And there were none, none of the words about the buyers. Yeah, the buyers those, of all those gosh, things. Are buyers. Very important. Um, so craft and, and you know, hipsters and millennials. We got to get those in there because they're taking over. I think, Phil, you, you started the, the podcast saying, or before we talked, that you're going to these conferences and you're seeing a bunch of old guys. Where are all the young people? They're, they're somewhere else. Right. Um, and usually they have more of the budget. <laughs> <laughs> like every year. Like, I mean, it's just incredible the shift that's going on in IT about who the buyer is and who's spending, who are the influences. And I think we have to be aware of that, not because it's like good or bad. It's just the reality. It just is. You know, the buyer is software. It's not like developers. It's like, you know, it's those companies and people who can combine these assets. And we have a super valuable part of that equation down here. Yeah. Um, but to expect that they look like the ones that bought before, these are not the droids you're looking for, you know? Yep. Totally agree. I think the focus on lack of customer in technology, especially you're probably, you said you were reading from the Gardner list or something, the hype cycle list or something, you know, we have a, a, an inherent issue sometimes in our industry of focusing on the people who use and consume tech the same way we do. You know, when you look at businesses right now, every business is becoming digital in some way, tech enabled. And I think that this is the really fascinating opportunity is that there are 30 million software developers in the world. There are a lot less infrastructure, server, network, data center people in the world who care about that stuff. So how are we translating and engaging within a whole generation of creators who maybe don't really care about your PUE or cooling? They just care. And I think that's what millennials are 39 this year. So professional life, you know, started in 2004, five, you know, we're, we're coming up on an entire generation of people who have not experienced world without Amazon being a, you know, diapers in two days, cloud computing in 60 seconds. So there's just paradigming is a little different. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Huge class of creators. We just need to empower them in a different way. Probably talk I actually to stole words. that, Phil, from another guest you should have, which was when I was first trying to raise our seed round, I talked to Bill Lubby because, uh, you know, he had been involved in Voxel before. And, you know, we were having a beer in Philadelphia at the American Brewers Association conference. Because, at 10 a.m. At 10 a.m. You know, this is a guy who, you, you know, switched, so Vermont. switching Vermont. data, you know, I mean, American Towers, early investment, you know, this guy's been in infrastructure. I mean, he was, you know, saying, well, I'm not in infrastructure right now. I'm in baseball teams and craft beer, bottling, things like, I'm like, why? It's like craft. It's a big trend. And, you know, I think stepping out of the technology world and looking at what's driving, because technology is a tool, right? And um, understanding what's driving the need for it. I mean, no doubt, like <laughs> technology is like the place to be, um, but why, right? What, how does it improve people's lives? How are we going to do that sustainably? And then who's our buyers, right, of the thing we're trying to sell? And that's something that cloud, and when you said cloud and I said wired, we both said wired, because it means so much. It's not just like cloud computing. <laughs> it means a lot of things. And that's why I think when you say edge versus edge computing, you get to the same kind of sense. Well, what does it mean? It means new. It means different. It means next. Yeah. And the cloud means like 
digital transformation to many people. It doesn't mean cloud computing, your computer, my computer, right? So just thinking about that, and I think we've experienced that recently coming into big company. One of the first pieces of advice from our boss, Sarah, was like, you guys say words and we don't understand them. And then we say words and you don't understand them. We need to figure out how to speak the same language. There's your bridge, right? I mean, that's your... That's you're the, right. You're, you're the thesaurus, I guess. Dictionary. Like they said, meet the number, and we're like, yeah, generally, and they're like, no, really. <laughs> um, we and I was like, we should make that decision fast, and they're like, you know, in a couple months. I'm like, you know, five minutes. Right. <laughs> That's why when when you explain how the cloud works, you don't talk about the computers and the data centers. You talk about the magic crystals that turn light. Right. Into data. Exactly. Exactly. Rainbows and unicorns, my friend. The, tube, the tubes that enable the internet. <laughs> so, do you think that's do you think that's an important factor? Do you think it's important that 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 people know why it works, or do you think magic will just solve all things? Well, I mean, I think you know you build on generations, you know, foundations of knowledge from generations past, right? So I always joked with our friend Raul, I was like, tell me one more time how SS7 works, old man. <laughs> and he hates that. Cause he's like, it's super basic. It's the best system ever built. I'm like, one more time about how I don't care about dial tone. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's basically our, our little, you know, tit for tat that we start every uh, conversation with. Cause of course that guy's an incredible learner. Um, but you know, I think like, do I really need to know about SS7? Not really. It just works. So you don't think it's important that that people know? Why. I mean, I'm I'm actually interested. I go to the world's largest telephone museum. It's pretty cool. <laughs> but like, I just kind of count. Like, I kind of counted that you know the phone worked when you picked it up. I didn't really need to know about how. Like, because you know some people did a really great job building on that. I could build on top of that. And so I think that's an that's a that's a good skill. That's okay. And um, I think sometimes it's a little self indulgent for us to. Um, look at a different generation and say, you should understand about how I used to have to punch I think it's down more those about layers. I think it's about layers. Um, someone from CoreOS, Jimmy, used to tell me that developers and engineers in general only usually work one layer below where they're currently working. Like that's where they look. And so, you know, you can see, and I'm very hopeful. I think that we're, you know, it, you know, five years ago, we were, we were innovating at software way up here. And now it's like touching. <clears throat> I mean, I have developers coming into live chat, chatting to me. <clears throat> not a chatbot, by the way. Uh, and, and, they, and they want to talk about DBTK and they want to talk about EPPF. And this is essentially getting down to where software touches hardware, which I think that part of that's just because we're starting to build things at scale. You know, there's a great old quote from Alan Kay, which is like, anyone who cares sufficiently about software should build their own hardware, right? Because you start to wrap those things together. And does that mean that everyone's going to build it? No, they're going for partners. They're going for people who know that really well so they can work on it together. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's part of our job in the infrastructure space is to bridge those things and say, oh, <laughs> you've never talked to Intel? Well, I, I mean, I could help you connect with that. You know, I mean, it's like, you mean, these, pe- these pieces are starting to be used together and you can see them at the, at the larger scales, the hyperscale, I mean, that those have been internalized. And what we're trying to build, you know, now at Equinix is an ecosystem, a non-verticalized approach to help do that. Because there is a lot of value in having diverse opinions and innovation. And Mm -hmm. yet you have to bring together these different parts. So I think some of it's not about generations and it's more just about like layers of the stack and the cake and making sure you, you, you respect and understand your, your, your role in that. And then also your points of intersection, right? And the value of that intersection is, you know, when you try to innovate for real, you tend to touch the different parts. Yep. Um, you have to have a general understanding of the foundation, though you don't have to be the subject matter expert. 
Uh, one of the reasons why we actually started uh, this podcast was also the fact that, like you mentioned, Zach, that there's a lot of people moving into the application layer and the software part of the business versus the physical infrastructure itself. So this is to create that level of awareness whereby, hey, guys, if you don't have this foundation of the mission-critical infrastructure, the application layer does not exist. I'm going to shift gears for, for a second. You guys, if you could look up in Wikipedia... Like, when do you want to sell your company? When do you want to make a major transaction of your company? And you and somebody said, like, maybe a week before a global pandemic um, hits and shuts everything down. Um, I think people would think that Bill, that timing was so ridiculous. As you know, companies are not sold. They are bought. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Um, if I was going or, to or as facilitate another... the acquisition of my company, um, I would love that to close before the whole world went completely bananas. Uh, so, you know, I could mitigate some of that, some of that risk. Um, and I know you guys are brilliant, but even in your ever world of crystal balls, I can't imagine that you predicted this world that we live in now. Uh, I, we don't have. I, a, I mean, I can I can just comment on that. I mean, yeah, you can't please. predict that. But where we were at as a company, for sure, was like we had we always thought you needed three things to be meaningful in the space we were trying to innovate. You needed like capital or access to lots of it, like global reach and distribution, and software. And we had one of them, <laughs> you know? And so we were always looking for ways in which we could take our model and our thinking and our way of basically having a more open um, spliced stack of technology that was accessible to more different kinds of opinions. And primarily we were looking for partnerships, right? We were looking for how could we partner with real estate, people in the real estate, people in the Silicon space, people in the capital space who had assets that were valuable to the equation, but not as valuable if you didn't have access to the customer through automation yep. and ends up like, you know, we found a home where they have, you know, capital and global Overreach. reach and just, you know, <laughs> so that's a good thing for our strategy. It really, it is, it is not just a, we, you know, you don't sell your company lightly, right? You don't like commit to this thing, which you negotiated, you know, at great length with your wife, evidently Zach, you know, to just because I, ah, boss, great, boss, money. Jacob, boss, yeah, your boss, right? It's, you know, we want to see our vision be successful. Like that's not just like ego. Some of it's definitely ego, but a lot of it's because we really think it's important. Like we really think it's important to have um, more and other ways uh, for people who want to innovate with infrastructure um, to do that. And you need to be global. You need to be able to do it your way. And we don't think that that's like just for a few dozen companies. And so I think you do have to be aligned. Luckily, we feel very aligned. And so I think there's a lot to stand on there in addition to capital and reach, because that's like, there are other places to find it. Uh, what we have right now, and I think, yeah, the timing was good, but it's timing, if you step back from the pandemic, it's timing in this shift of, you know, we've got, what are the buzzwords that you said are happening at once? 4G to 5G. Uh, on-prem to cloud, like software, uh, new buyer. Like we have all these things happening at once. We're defining the next 10 or 20 years of the internet. Like now-ish, it's our feeling. We could be wrong. <laughs> um, so from that from that standpoint, the timing is um, apropos either way. I mean, one of my uh, investors from SoftBank says, I'd rather be lucky than smart. That always has something to do with it. Um, it's good timing. You can't predict it. But one of the things when I was talking to Charles Myers, the CEO of Equinix, um, over the past year, I said, you know, at some point, people are not going to want to go to the data center. They just want to have it done. And then you, you could kind of see that in the corona time, a lot of times we can't let you go to the data center. It's too hard. 
um, or we're not going to be able to let you do that. And so I think timing actually worked out really well, um, where this wasn't on accident. Actually, I think that, you know, many people saw that, hey, it's like Platform Equinix is in 213 data centers around the world right now. It's kind of hard to visit them all. It might take you an entire year flying every day to go visit every data center. So if your job is to go rack and stack servers or be able to deploy against that platform, <laughs> you got to make it easier, right? Um, and so I think uh, that just got accelerated with the, with the time of uh, COVID, which is we need to think of new ways to access value or deliver value as companies um, in a digital manner. Um, and that that involves us as service providers um, doing more for our customers, including maybe delivering the server versus just the rack. <laughs> you guys have managed a team that that has been largely remote for some time. So I assume transitioning to, you know, a time like this where, you know, people are, are kind of, you know, have to stay in their homes was not a huge stretch. Uh, but have you seen any challenges? Have, has anything about, you know, the way society has responded to the pandemic uh, surprised you and in, in, in your experience? I mean, we're we're breaking one of our rules of the week right now. Just normally Wednesday is now lo-fi Wednesday. We try not to do video calls. We try to reduce meetings because, you know, like I'm a long-term um, remote worker, um, many stretching, you know, uh, and asking our managers to really be cognizant of how to help people um, make a sustainable shift to this. Because like, it's like, I, th- I mean, we didn't see any disruption from the, you know, here to there. I mean, it's certainly been hard uh, to be bringing on 60 new employees when you don't get to meet them. But we had some skills about that before. Hmm. Um, I think it's more about creating something that's sustainable and actually, you know, really invest in that. So we were widely, what I would say, a remote friendly company before. And there's a big difference between being remote friendly and being remote first. And that's something that we just had to get comfortable with from the beginning. Of course, we'll hire people we haven't met. I'll totally sell to people that I've never met. That's fine. That's all good. (laughs) <laughs> and companies have gotten really comfortable firing people um, oh, not being no, a person that's, anymore. That's the hard. That's Are we so on a hard. Zoom, Phil? Because maybe we can take care of that right now. So the future, uh, as, as I see it, and based on the conversation we had thus far, is uh, work from home is dead. And the new tagline, especially for you, Jacob, is work from anywhere. Wired, tired, man. <laughs> I think we haven't yet. We're, we're in the early stages of figuring out how to do that well. And I mean, I really respect companies like Kelp Scout. Um, we started by our friends, uh, Nick Francis and Denny Swindle years ago. And they've been that way since the very beginning. They put a lot of thought, a lot of investment, a lot of policy, a lot of practice, a lot of or automatic. Automatic is a great example. We like purposely worked on this for the last 15 years. So I, I don't think work from home is like as we currently define it, a great situation, but I think it's an important trend and we're not going to go back to the other way. So it's like kind of like digital transformation, right? It was kind of like an, like an interesting and very valid term to say, just got a lot more real. Yeah. yeah. And I think I, I'd like to take a look at the other side is that, you know, we're, we're seeing people are struggling to learn how to do remote selling, remote relationship building with their customers. That's hard. There are new skills people have to learn that we have to invest in. So, you know, we've been doing trainings on how to provide value remotely to your customers um, as part of a sales process. I think the whole concept of a bottoms up SaaS style model is not nice to have anymore for an enterprise company. You, it's, you have to have it. How can you provide quicker value to your prospects? Because maybe you can't actually work through that top down motion all the time. Maybe it's logistically not going to be possible. There's a lot of good things that are going to come out of it. And one of them is uh, the ability to be anywhere at any time and work from anywhere at any time. So says the man from Hawaii. 
<laughs> I mean, this is it. It gets, it makes it real. And it makes it real. There's, there's something to that in the end. I mean, I'm going to go back to the very beginning of this conversation, which is um, something I always found very valuable about being a musician. And also the scariest thing you've ever done is that you go up on stage and uh, you play the thing uh, without any robots assisting you usually. And uh, you either like show up and do great or you don't because you didn't practice or you didn't prepare or whatever. Like, there's a sense of like showing up to the game that you see in sports, you see in music, you see in lots of things. And in big, you know, in business, it's, it's, it's often very hard to pin that. Um, some of the intensity we felt around the pandemic has sharpened our focus around certain weaknesses. Right. But having that sense of like self-criticism or just like finding and asking for like, what are we doing badly? Like, what are we doing where I wouldn't be proud to go put it out there? That's like just, you know, that's, that's, that's a very powerful thing to attract into any venture and any conversation. Um, and, you know, it, sometimes it's pretty hard to get there. It's hard to have the trust and the relationships and the things and uh, to be able to say, tell me what I'm doing wrong and have someone actually tell you that <laughs> um, versus like, tell you, tell, tell you what you think or they think you want to hear. Exactly. Uh, and I, I think that if we're going to truly build, you know, interesting things in infrastructure, software, doesn't really matter. Um, you have to kind of strive uh, for that level of performance. Wow, excellent. <laughs> Gentlemen, it has been phenomenal. Thank you very much for taking the time. Really enjoyed having you guys on the podcast. Any last words for the, the listeners? Oh, just I love the name of your podcast, which is Nomads. I mean, like, you know, wandering in search of the next thing. So uh, um, when you find it, let us know, and we'll all go find another one. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Nabil. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.